1: Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply it's real simple you know if you take a person's legs away they can't run right on, baby. Yes, sir. bear's fans this is take the north with your hosts david haw
2: and dan wieter we're gonna take the north and never give it back Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Hall from 670 The Score and The Mullane Haw Show. Dan Weeders from the Chicago Tribune. He is at Hallis Hall. It is the day after the Bears, 38-20, embarrassing season opening loss to the Green Bay Packers at Soldier Field. Dan, we refer to this as overreaction Monday throughout the NFL because it is the day to overreact. The worst example of that, the most egregious overreaction, I think, and outrageous that I heard came this morning. One of our callers to the Mullen Haw Show suggested that it was time to see Tyson Bajan. It was time <laughs> to tap into the Bajancy for the third string quarterback, the, the pride of Shepard University, the division two phenom, because Justin Fields was only playing quarterback and starting for the Chicago Bears because of politics. So that was the most outrageous overreaction on a day full of disappointment throughout Chicago
3: I'm writing this down September 11th that's the date we got to that overreaction I knew it was coming I just didn't know it would be that early yeah that's what it's like a a dreary day here in Chicago both in weather and how people feel about their football team and for good reason because it was a a disastrous performance on a stage where you wanted to see something good and it wasn't there um look like let's take some time let's process this I, I I said on the the Bernstein and Holmes show on Monday afternoon that I'm all for the Monday blowtorch. Blowtorching is right in my wheelhouse on Mondays. On Tuesday, we get to take a deep breath, take a half step back, and try to, to try to figure out a big picture way out of this mess. Hopefully, the people that work inside this building here at House Hall are, are figuring that out as we speak. Even as the flames of that blowtorch are are roaring
1: today.
2: One down, 16 to go. We'll sift through the Packer loss. We'll look ahead to the Buccaneers. Let's start everything with our opening drive it's time for the opening the the opening drive Dan so you're at Halas Hall Matt Eberflues met the media I don't know if he watched the film as he promised he would I'm sure he did and explained some things about Justin Fields and his assessment of what went wrong but let's start with the news of the day the one that might be the the headline from what happened uh, in terms of an injury situation Kyler Gordon cornerback for the Bears injured his hand what's the latest
3: yeah. So the latest is we're uh, in wait and see mode to see whether uh, Kyler Gordon will be um, able to play this week. I think that's the the first step. And then if he's not able to play this week, will this be something that lingers for multiple weeks? Will this be something that that uh, qualifies for short term IR, which would be a, a, a four game absence? Again, yeah, you cringe when you even think about that sentiment. Uh, but Matt Eberflus, true to his policy, is not going to give us any sort of formal update until. They have their Wednesday practice. We did have an opportunity, though, later in the afternoon to meet with Jalen Johnson and asked him if he had seen Kyler and talked to him and how he thought Kyler was doing. And Jalen's response was, he's been better. And then he answered a a detailed follow-up to a question I had about what it'll be like if Josh Blackwell has to play uh, an extended period of time in Gordon's absence and seemed to indicate that they were already kind of gearing up toward that possibility, understanding that it could be possible that Gordon isn't available Sunday in Tampa and might not be available for for multiple weeks. So that's uh, another, uh, I guess, trickle of bad news uh, after the faucet was roaring with bad news on Sunday.
2: Let's look at that a little closer. Josh Blackwell would emerge as the nickel corner, so he would play the slot like Kyler Gordon does when they usually go with five defensive backs. Is it a surprise to you? I know that's kind of been the way it's gone throughout the preseason because of maybe the skill set that's very specific to that role. But are there other defensive backs that you thought might get a shot? If this is indeed a short-term IR situation, if the Bears have to go several games, is that the best move in your mind? Yeah, yeah Listen, Josh Blackwell held his own
3: last year. He was one of those surprise stories as a guy that, that came in here late and then, and then contributed in the ways that they asked him to contribute. Uh, one of, part of Jalen Johnson's answer today was that his confidence – in josh blackwell stems from what he saw from josh blackwell a year ago playing that role and so there is uh some time on task there and 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 a little bit of uh, a proven experience there that that they believe on inside this building uh kyler gordon is obviously your first choice but if, if forced to go to the next man up move that would be a move that they would go to without without losing a ton of sleep over it even though they would obviously like to have gordon on
2: the field so we've all been in these locker rooms a day after a real bad defeat. It seems like it's a very familiar feeling, uh, if not an unwelcome one, around Chicago and certainly at Hallis. So besides the injury news, how would you describe the overall mindset, the mentality, the psyche of the Bears after such a disappointing opening day loss.
3: Yeah, well, David, I would just say that it, it, it was all too familiar. I mean, you just feel like you're listening to canned audio of the, oh, these are correct old mistakes. Oh, if we just take care of what we're supposed to do. Oh, we just got to take care of a few more assignments and we'll be right on the right footing. Well, I've sat here for 10 seasons in one game and, and heard that way more than I care care to count on I think there's a, a disappointment um, uh, amongst the players here at just how lopsided that game got remember it's seven to six in the final minute of the first half you know you hadn't played your best but you were right in a football game and all you had to do was figure out a way to make some adjustments at halftime come back be sharp and and meet some moments and they failed to do that and then it got away from them and then it got away from them some more and they walked out of there with an 18point loss with the building half empty and so I think everybody felt that and everybody understands what that disappointment is and and, and what 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 it uh, should be and shouldn't be. And now they just have to figure out how they're going to respond. And I think that's what this week is all about is can you respond better after that loss than you responded in the game while that loss was getting away from you?
2: It felt like the 18th game of Matt Eberflus' first season and just a continuation of 2022 in terms of the mistakes, almost the expectation that something bad was going to happen. And frankly, almost the, the the uh, restraint that the offense had in terms of not being able to uh, open things up and not being able to take shots down the field and just being very very careful and I just wondered if that was uh, something you I mean how, how was that addressed when Matt Eberflitz met the media
3: just in terms of the the, the game planning or, or yeah game planning game plan and then on.
2: how how everything was taken well
3: uh, listen I think that they're they're. Uh, it's really easy, especially in this city, to have that knee jerk impulse of, of saying everything's on the coordinator and the game plan was flawed and the plays weren't called properly. You got to understand the Bears, uh, it's called 48 pass plays yesterday you know and and there's there's four of them that resulted in sacks seven others that were tuck and run scrambles which were opportunities to push the ball down the football field and whether it was a protection breakdown a decision making problem from the quarterback bad routes run by the 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 receivers whatever it may be you had opportunities and they didn't they didn't materialize the way you wanted and so um, look part of their game plan was without question to attack horizontally to try to get some of your playmakers the ball on the perimeter and get good blocking out in front of them and, and use that to create chunk plays it didn't happen. They go back through the tape and they they thought, David, that they saw that a a few missed blocks on some of those perimeter plays would have sprung a play that went for minus three or two yards for 15 or 20. And so that's that's where y- y- you get into a little bit of, of of a guessing game. And you go back through it, I mean, you can find it. There, you know, there's a little screen play out to Deontay Foreman and a block's missed by Robert Tunnan and it gets taken down for a loss. There's uh, plays all throughout the game and Chase Claypool misses a block on a running play. And they're just like, you just have to be on your details. This team is not good enough. They're not talented enough. They're not deep enough to play a flawed football game and get away f- with it. Your mistakes are are, are exposed and they're magnified because of who you are as a football team and that happened Sunday and it got away quickly and so um, I just I, I I'm very resistant to the idea that, that this was a a Luke Getze loss um, I think that this collectively I mean Luke owns part of it he's got a piece of that pie chart without question but offensive line quarterback receivers running backs everybody else shares in this and, and I, I just I, I just think that's too simplistic and too convenient to make yourself feel better
2: Oh, I think so. I mean, I think it's collective in terms of the shared responsibility and blame. I do believe that uh, Getsy in, in particular is, is near, you know, how, how do you divvy it out? It really doesn't matter. But I, I do think that they have to work through this idea that if you are going to trust your quarterback and want other people to believe that he is your guy, then you've got to do that in the way that you call plays. And I understand that that might be some of the quarterback as well and his own reluctance to maybe take a shot yes. down the field and he's checking down and making the right decision, perhaps. I also think that there would be some examples that you could point to around the, the league if, if he's going to be the kind of dynamic passer that they want him to be and he's going to be that guy, you're going to you're going to have to throw and make plays when guys aren't obviously open. You're, yes. not, you're not at Ohio State and you're not playing Rutgers. And this isn't going to be a case where you know, D.J. Moore obviously has a step and a half on a cornerback. He may have a half step, but you anticipate he's going to be able to create some separation. So you make that throw and you take that chance. And I just don't think they're there yet. Now, whether that's Luke Getze drilling it into his head or the coaching staff doing that or it's Justin Fields' own, reluctance to kind of take that step i do think it's shared responsibility i can be critical of getsy because i feel like it was maybe too much of an emphasis on the horizontal passing game and i hated 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 the tight end quarterback sneak because i think it sent the wrong message on the first drive but your point's well taken it's not just an offensive coordinator you fix the play calling and everything else is going to be fine
3: no, yeah, exactly. And that, that, that's exactly where we're at here. I, you know, I, I said to Brad Biggs back in, in June on a, on a day where the offense struggled and it was clear that the offense was struggling because the offense didn't have uh, the type of players to not struggle. Yet, including the quarterback. And I said the pitchforks are going to come out first for Luke Getze. I said, You just wait. That that'd be the first person they blamed when this offense starts to struggle again. It took one game. They're already coming coming for Luke Getze. And and, and so we're gonna live this cycle again. Uh my colleague Colleen Kane said when we walked into the building this morning, she said, I just have PTSD to the, the, the Mitch era where everyone wants to find other reasons for why the quarterback isn't good enough. And then the quarterback leaves here and he doesn't ever surface as a reliable starter ever again. I'm not saying that's where we're headed with Justin Fields, but I'm not saying it's not, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so it, you, you just have to to be open and honest to, to, to what is causing some of these problems. Um, and look like Luke will talk on Thursday. I'll be really interested to hear some of the questions he takes and some of the answers he gives, because you, you know, uh, uh, that he has been a very honest, direct, real talk, uh, administrator here inside this offense for the two years that he's been here. And we'll see kind of how he responds to all this.
2: So uh, before we get to our quarterback breakdown, I want to ask you a couple real quick uh, other points about specific guys. We could have a separate segment every week if we want, keeping up with the Joneses, but Braxton Jones struggled mightily, maybe his worst day as an NFL left tackle, Justin Jones, the three technique who they had a lot of faith in didn't even appear on the stat sheet. Both of those guys, how would you describe their games, and also was anything said about their days by Matt Eberflus.
3: If we're playing keeping up with the Joneses, do not pick T.J. Edwards for your team because he was unable to keep up with Aaron Jones on that little (laughs) arrow route. The next thing you know, he's left in the dust chasing Aaron Jones. So keeping up with the Jones, it didn't work in that case. Braxton Jones, four penalties. Never, ever, ever are you going to have a four-penalty day by an offensive lineman and put your head on the pillow at night and sleep well. You know, that was just, it was not good. Two false starts, two holding penalties, too many mistakes that that set your offense back. And that's what the entire day was about. They just kept having backward momentum, backward momentum, backward momentum. We mentioned it after the game Sunday night with the seven possessions out of 12 where you're playing from behind the sticks at some point on a drive and you just can't play winning football that way. That also handcuffs a coordinator for what you're going to do. Now, uh, to Justin Jones, look like one of the gambles you took in deciding that, that, You know, uh, Darnell Wright was was the the no doubt number one uh, option for you in the draft when you're picking in the top ten. Was that you passed on a potential game changing three technique? We talked about it at the time. the, the 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 reasons that they made that decision made sense. You could justify it. You could rationalize it. But you still have to answer that position inside this particular defense on who is going to be that guy in the middle that creates havoc. That creates the problems. That makes the opposing quarterback scared every time he takes a snap, and that pocket starts to cave in a little bit. They don't have that right now. Justin Jones not appearing on the stat sheet with any recordable statistic is is uh, it's inexcusable, just like Brex and Jones's four penalties are. And so that's what I say when you look at this loss from top to bottom of the depth chart. With the exception of maybe Roshan Johnson, I'm not sure you can name me a single player who played well on Sunday. Honestly, maybe Cairo Santos just because he made two field goals.
2: Santos and Roshan Johnson are the only players that come to mind as having a positive day that can maybe uh, say they had a good night's sleep on Sunday. Other than that, it's a pretty short list. I think Ngakwe, he flashed and he made a nice play for a tackle for loss on a running play. He had a sack so he got to the quarterback as advertised but i don't feel like if if you belong to that defensive front you don't feel good about your pass pressure on jordan love who was way too comfortable and and as of uh before we we see jordan uh aaron Rodgers versus uh uh josh allen jordan love has the highest pass rating of any quarterback in week one in the nfl and oh by the way had a perfect passer rating of 158.3 on third and fourth down. So I don't know that you can feel good about your pass rush when those are the realities you're looking at. Braxton Jones could be a work in progress. The thing is, Dan, as we know, I don't know that they have any other option except for to live with the development of a fifth-round draft pick at left tackle.
3: Well, no. And th- th- that's, you know, one of the questions we talked about earlier on on Monday is is d- d- the problems that you have on defense. Are those solvable either? Because we've talked since the spring about the lack of teeth to the pass rush. And you get one sack, three quarterback hits, and that was it for the entire day. And, and I don't know that, the, you know. Uh, Julius Peppers is walking through this door anytime soon. <laughs> Robert Quinn of uh, of a couple years ago isn't walking through this door. Khalil Mack's not going to be here. So you have what you have, and you better figure out ways to manufacture that pressure. Because if you don't, um, you know you're going to get Baker Mayfield on Sunday, and then you're going to go to Arrowhead, and you're going to face Patrick Mahomes. And if you can't heat up Patrick Mahomes in any way, shape, or form throughout a game, good luck keeping that scoreboard, uh, you know, at less than 38 to 20. You know what I mean? Like that will be uh, Arrowhead fireworks show all afternoon. And then, again, another 325 start. I know Brad Biggs has already filed a petition to get that game moved out of the 325 slot because he doesn't want to see the Bears embarrassed uh, in front of another big audience like
2: that. Yeah, I'm sure that's why. I'm <laughs> sure it's not just so he can get done earlier. Because if, if he started 325, we might only have nine and a half thoughts in the Chicago Tribune the next day. So who knows?
3: Yeah. But that's where we are, right? Like, and and so, right. so now inside the building, they've got to figure out what is truly fixable with what they have <laughs> and what they're just going to have to live with and try to work around.
0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
2: All right, let's get to what Matt Aberfield had to say about Justin Fields, and we'll do that next in our QB1 segment. Love the sound effects. All right. So Matt Eberflus did not necessarily comment too specifically on (laughs) Justin Sunday, uh, had to do some film study. What, uh, did the film study reveal to the bears head coach?
3: Yeah. He was asked the same question that he was asked after the game again, after the film review. And he said, Justin knows he needs to play better. That's a loosely translated, uh, sentiment david that says he didn't meet our standards he didn't meet his standards he didn't meet our standards he did not play well and it was obvious to everyone even upon uh film review that that there were some poor decisions uh some big mistakes the inability to consistently create scoring opportunities and here we are you know talking about this performance so that that that's that's on the start of the point i know we can go through this categorically and and kind of dig into the specific plays and specific moments but i i'm curious what you make of of matt's kind of very succinct but still a little bit vague uh over, we're not doing any favors
2: here. that's what i think they're not doing many favors here and, and and i i think it's a fine line to walk but it's one that i would cross frankly if i am if and, and i want to be fair here because i'm not up there every day and, and they have they have access to all the information and film and they've got the relationships to worry about if i'm the coach if i'm the coordinator if i'm the general manager of a quarterback that I think if things go right, could be our franchise guy. I think that I might see things that other people don't. I even might look coaches fib about injuries all the time. They rationalize about losses and things. They don't always tell the truth. Let's be honest here. So if I'm suddenly now they're telling the truth about Justin Fields. (laughs) He didn't meet their standards. And maybe he didn't, you know, he can play better. And there's a fine line. You want your team to respond to a certain, you know, tough love, maybe if you're consistent with that, I think you want your quarterback to know that you believe in him. I think that's a very different mentality. And I'm, I've been surprised, frankly, that we still really don't know how much Ryan Poles believes in Justin Fields. And after one game, the first game that Justin Fields did not play that well, but he did not play that awful either. He was somewhere in between. I mean, he, he was shaky in the second half. He never should have thrown the pick six. You got to protect the football. But I am a little surprised they haven't been more effusive in their praise of their leader. Because he's got to be their leader. And I wouldn't be surprised if I'm Justin Fields, you start to wonder, how much do these guys really trust me? Because they're not saying the right things. They're not saying things that they really believe in me unequivocally or unconditionally. And they're certainly not, I don't think, calling the game plan like they trust me either. So I'm beginning to wonder exactly where this all is headed.
3: What creates belief? I mean belief is created but, by plays and production results, and results, playmaking results. And, and results. Right. And and like like Ryan Poles has never been guided <sighs> by blind hope. That's not the 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 hang glider that he's riding on. You know, he, he's seeing this through through sober, objective eyes, and he's trying to see growth from a quarterback that needs to occur for the quarterback to stay the quarterback. And so, um, what role? I, what
2: role, What role in coaching does encouragement play? What it plays role a lot? Of, no, it plays what, a lot. But I don't, I don't, a,
3: I don't, I don't think that they're they're overly harsh on Justin. I mean, like th- this is a big week, like right? um, you know, this is a response week without question. I you know, I recall in 2019, I I, I got a lot of flack. I, I I put out a tweet in week two after the Bears lost to the the Packers at home in that hundredth season curtain lifter that there was internal anxiety inside the building about Mitch Trubisky's ability to, to steady a, a rocking ship and people said, Oh, you're making that up. You don't know what you're talking about. Well I promise you that inside this building this week that there is a, a challenge issued on you need to be the engine of the bounce back effort here. You need to be the guy that is the sharpest with the details so other guys follow that lead. You need to be the guy that that practices hard like you always do, that, that prepares hard like you always do. And then when the lights come on on game day, you need to be the guy that produces. I talked to you yesterday that, uh, on Sunday afternoon that the Bears haven't touched 21 points or higher since week 11 of last season. This offense is broken. It's it's still sputtering. It's still clunky, and and the quarterback owns part of that. I just like I don't want us to revert into this this idea that now the the, the coaching staff and the the front office are being too hard on him, and that's what's creating.
2: I, I don't want to say too hard. I don't I don't want to say too hard. I, and I don't hate it even. I guess I'm just a little surprised. I'm a little surprised with as much as they have to gain from surrounding him or or or, or kind of draping him with praise and, 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 and building him up that they haven't tried harder to build him up. And that's okay because I think that it could work and it could be they're just being objective, but you don't always see objectivity when it comes to teams evaluating their own players. So I guess I'm a little bit more surprised than anything because I, it, it is, to me, a slight departure in how the, this whole culture that we talk about all the time really is it's more of a a positive uh attitude pma positive mental attitude ty- type of mentality and approach and culture and this is more like okay they're basically telling us this is a no excuses tour because they're not making any excuses for them yeah,
3: yeah. no love songs on the no excuses tour no no love no love, love, no love okay. balance <laughs>
2: man jeez all right cancel that cancel that order sorry no celine dion <laughs> uh you want to get into yeah let's get to our categories yeah so let's start with uh our defining moment
3: all right, so I had a, a menu of two for this because I thought that the, both of these were significant. And I, the, the one that, this this isn't Justin's fault, but the Bears had a, an opportunity down 17 to six to put together a response drive the first time they touched the ball in the third quarter. The Packers had, had scored 10 points without the Bears touching the ball with the last drive of the first half and the first drive of the second half. And the first play you call the second half is a, a play action, naked bootleg rollout to your left. And Justin Fields' play actioned, a naked bootleg, then as soon as he turned around to his left, Devontae Wyatt was smothering him. And it was a loss of 11 yards. And at a moment where you needed a drive to really respond, you were stuck in second and 21. And the drive was over before the quarterback got out of his play action rollout. And it was just brutal because then the next thing you know, you're down 24 to 6. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're playing a chase game that you didn't want to be playing. And, and nobody's comfortable and you don't go there. So that is the defining moment for me. I also wanted, and we'll get into this in a, in a minute or two, to highlight the sack that Justin took when the Bears were down in the red zone. Uh, and, and Lucas Van Ness took him down for a, a seven-yard loss because it was another play where it was just hidden negative yardage that you could have lived without. And uh, Matty Ravus talked about that play specifically on Monday and said Justin knew it immediately when he came to the sideline and said, I got to get rid of that. Those are basic quarterbacking mistakes that can't be happening in year three.
2: My defining moment is the one that probably prevents the Bears from being as effusive with their praise as anything because you can't get the pick six out of your head. It wasn't a terribly... Again, watching it again, and it, it didn't seem like it was that elaborate or complex of a of a scheme or a or a robber coverage or a spy or anything like that. It was just, uh, as you kind of described it yesterday, it was kind of a, a what happens in a simple seven on seven in August. You just don't see a guy. You have a lapse in concentration or focus or whatever, and you throw it, and then you want it back, but you can't take it back. Yeah. And it's boom. He picks it off, and he does with it what he does with it. The fact that he made a great return only makes it more indelible in your memory and only makes it more of a defining moment for the day when everything went wrong. And as much as we'll want to focus on some of these other things we'll get to, when you throw a pick six and it's because it's a bad judgment, it's not necessarily the play the guy made on the ball. He made a nice play on the ball, but he threw it right where you know, he shouldn't have thrown it He wanted it back immediately. And I think it was indicative of everything that you wanted to come back immediately on a day that was best forgotten. And it
3: was a pick six in the fourth quarter. And you and I continue to stress the need to eliminate those mistakes in the fourth quarter to play better in the fourth quarter. It trans- transitions perfectly into my uh-oh because my uh-oh is the two turnovers. You just described the the pick six in vivid detail and all of it is correct. The fumble's just as bad. It's a play where Justin reaches the top of his drop and he doesn't get rid of the football. And then not only doesn't he get rid of the football, he doesn't show the pocket presence to, to, to maneuver around the pocket the way high level quarterbacks do in this league. And then he doesn't see the check down option, the running back who's really right in his line of vision and, and only a few yards beyond the line of scrimmage uh, to, to catch a little pass and, and take it someplace. And he decides to go into that old comfort package, which is the tuck and run scrambles with it. I didn't think he was in Matty Bufloos, uh said that he didn't think he was poor with the ball security, but he obviously wasn't solid enough because they ripped it out and they got the ball out and they got a turnover and they got the ball on the bear side of midfield. Now, now, thankfully, the Packers committed a penalty and ended up not turning that turnover into points. But that was another possession that they gave the Packers possession on their side of midfield because of a, of a lapse. And when, when we're talking about two second half turnovers from QB1 at a time where you talked, uh, you know, three weeks ago, your offensive coordinator told everybody, Whatever you do, if you, if you don't see something or you get tricked, don't lose the game for us. And then you make those two plays, uh-oh. Uh-oh, City.
2: Yeah, my uh-oh, City is, is something you just described. That's a good one. Um, I, I think that when you talk about the Lucas Van Ness uh, play, it, it was uh-oh for a couple of reasons, I think. Uh, one is in total overreaction. The other one is, is, is totally obvious. The totally obvious part is that as soon as he got to the sidelines, I'm not surprised to hear that he knew he should have thrown the ball away. you got to throw the ball away because you're on the verge of scoring a touchdown, and now you made it more difficult, and then you have to settle for three instead of six. And When you do that enough, that's how your offense becomes broken and stays broken because you're not taking advantage of those opportunities to score or to make the right decision, and it was a bad decision. The other thing is maybe a little bit more of a reach, but when Lucas Van Ness – the first round draft pick of the Green Bay Packers is not allowing Justin Fields to get to the edge. It suggests two things. Number one, teams are already know that you can't let that happen. And whether it was the way he aligned pre-snap or the way that he was always in his mind, knowing he couldn't lose contain teams are going to drop as deep as the deepest and not allow the Justin Fields to, to, uh, throw, throw behind them because, He's not going to beat him with all the checkdowns, and he's captain checkdown right now. And then also as wide as the widest and build a wall and a perimeter so he doesn't break contain because that's when he is most dangerous, when he's out of contain. And Lucas Van Ness did that, and he also is, is the type of new breed of outside linebacker, pass rusher, who's athletic enough. He's just He ran down Justin Fields, wrapped him up, and threw him down. That's well, yeah. an athlete. That's yeah. a really good athlete who is ready for the challenge that Justin Fields presents and poses to defensive linemen. And you could even go so far and say that's probably one of the reasons the Packers found him so appealing when he was on the board. Well, look,
3: the Lions provided part of that blueprint uh, last uh, January, and, and, and Aiden Hutchinson did a great job of doing the same thing. And what you saw from Van Ness in that play is the ability to go horizontally and not push upfield uh, too much. You know, and, and so now it's up to the Bears to find the counterpunch to that. And some of it's gonna be Justin keeping his eyes downfield and knowing when the ball's gotta go and when it's gotta go. That ball again, that's gotta that's gotta hit Stately in the nose. It's gotta hit a cameraman on the sideline, it's gotta hit somebody's beer in the third row of the, you know, south end zone there, but it's gotta be it's gotta be gone. The minute that pass rusher is within a yard and a half from you, you've gotta get that arm cocked and, and and get rid of that because a seven yard loss down in the low red zone does nobody any good, particularly when it's avoidable. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to that one
2: for sure. What was on the bright side? There was a bright side, right?
3: Well, there was. There was a touchdown pass. There was a nice touchdown pass to uh, Darnell Mooney. If you go back and watch it, the the pocket was not clean. It was a dirty pocket. There was pressure up the middle. Uh, Justin fired it. He knew his receiver was going to be open with with what he saw pre snap, and he made it. He made a nice throw. And before that, a couple plays before that, he hit Mooney for a fourteen yard gain on what was a schoolyard basic out route. It was just to get the snap. As soon as your receiver gets into his break, let it fly. Mooney caught it about five yards beyond the line of scrimmage, turned it into a 14-yard game. And and that that right there, David, those are the plays – You needed to have a sequence of those once a quarter, minimum, if we're going to take this developmental leap in 2023 that we're talking about. Uh, It was few and far between on Sunday, but those are two moments when uh, Justin looked like the quarterback that that the Bears have been hyping up uh, since April in terms of the development and and the, the processing speed and the ability to understand what he's seeing more clearly. You need to see that more regularly because those were two really nice connections.
2: I like that one because Darnell Mooney is a guy that I, I like to see have success, and he coming back from that injury. It was nice to see him catch a touchdown pass, and nice to see Justin Fields put it where it needed to be. I'll go with the old standby, the 10-yard gain where he he did a little spin move, and then he tucked it and ran. Even though you don't like the tuck and run, uh, we're not supposed to. This is what, this may be this may be in a couple of weeks how we look at how they're going to fix this broken offense. Is that letting Justin Fields? be the runner that he is. And when he gets in the open field, as he did, he does a spin move, makes a guy miss, he makes a linebacker miss, and then all of a sudden it seemed like it's longer than 10 yards, but I think it was only 10 yards, maybe his longest of the day, on a day where he had 59 yards uh, on on nine carries. So Justin Fields in the open field, to me, was a bright bright spot on, on the bright side because it reminded everybody that he still can do that. I'm not going to go so far. I'm going to stop saying Uh, Aaron Jones might have heard me and was offended. (laughs) Justin Fields is not the best running back in the NFC North, but he is certainly still a very dangerous running quarterback.
3: No, and they got to keep the key number. Yeah. My key number is, is 189. And that's the number of net passing yards that the bears had, despite being behind by double digits, every single time they touched the ball in the second half, despite allowing 38 points and being in a chase game, they still wound up with 189 net passing yards. I mean, this is the type of stuff that is the red flag. You know, we talked about it a week ago when you're playing from behind, when you're in all these chase games, there are quarterbacks that go get that, that garbage time production. They pad up stats and they get, they get things going and they get momentum. And sometimes they get a little bit of confidence just from it the Bears still couldn't get there Justin passed for over 200 but it was still 189 net passing yards David so that's 0 for 1 in 2023 in surpassing 200 net passing yards last year they were 1 for 17 as a team in having 200 net passing yards or higher in the games they played wow I mean this is 2023 in the NFL wow
2: my number is three. That's the number of third down conversions the Bears had out of 13 opportunities, three for thirteen and third down efficiency. It it's bad. It's even worse when you compare it to what I referred to earlier. The Packers, nine of 16 yeah. on third down. Jordan Love owned third down, and on third and fourth down, he had a perfect passer rating. That's not good enough for the Bears. Three for thirteen. That's when you make your money. That's when you keep the chains moving, and that's how you fix your offense. You make plays on third down. Now, as Brad Biggs did in his 10 Thoughts in ChicagoTribune.com, as we talked about all day on the score and people around town, you are in bad situations on third down because of your failures on first down. It's all related. We know that. It's football one-on-one. But you can erase a lot of mistakes and and cure a lot of ills by making plays on third down that the Bears passing game just not capable of, of making right now. So I think that when you look at that number, three for 13, that is unacceptable. And that's got to be addressed and corrected.
3: Don't be surprised if that one comes back up later in the week when we do our numbers game before the, uh, the Buccaneers game.
1: And we'll look into the, the third down success as well there. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice
2: Okay, Dan, so we talked about Kyler Gordon possibly being out. We talk about a lot of the challenges for the offensive line, Braxton Jones, to get better and be consistent quickly. Todd Bowles is going to come after Justin Fields with everything but the kitchen sink, as they say. Expect a lot of blitz. Expect a lot of emphasis on blitz pickup. And also, Baker Mayfield has moved on to the pirate ship. I think he's living (laughs) now. Can't be sure. But this is a team that went into Minnesota – And one on the road. Tom Brady is gone. Baker Mayfield is there. The Buccaneers expected to take a step backward. I wonder, have they, and how far? And is this going to be a game the Bears can feel like they can win? Because you you don't want to call it a must-win, but you also don't want to face the prospect of coming home 0-2 because you got the Chiefs staring at 0-3. So this suddenly becomes a huge game.
3: I share your concern and I share the urgency that must be attached to this for those very reasons. I think the worst thing the Bears can do is start fearing that Kansas City trip and using that as a, a means to feel more uh, pressure than they should feel this week. They need to just get cleaned up and need to play a sharp football game against a, uh, another middle-of-the-road NFC opponent. All year long, you're going to face a lot of middle-of-the-road NFC opponents, and you've got to be able to to rise up and be the team on, on, uh, on several weeks that wins those matchups. The Bears can definitely win this game, but they're going to have to play way better than they did Sunday, and they're going to have to force the Buccaneers to play worse than they did in Minnesota. That's not an easy place to go up and win in the season opener, and they did it. If you want to see a high-level pitch and catch, watch this from the press box at Soldier Field. Baker Mayfield's uh, final completion of the day to Chris Godwin to basically seal the game on a third down. It's a beautiful pitch and catch. It's everything done right by the offensive line, the quarterback, and the receiver. And the Vikings don't get the ball back to try to go get one of those dramatic victories. And so, um, look, like Baker Mayfield has lived a lot of places here, David, in the last couple of years. His uh, zip code and his addresses have changed a lot. Um, but he still has the ability to, to do some things to, to hurt you. You're going to have to get him to make some mistakes coming your way way um and the bears certainly haven't shown uh, consistently that they can create the heat up front that makes a guy like that uncomfortable and error prone so it is this will be fascinating because again it's a, it is it is in my opinion it is a must win because you go 0 and 2 and you go to Kansas City and you go get your doors blown off there which is very very realistic uh then then you, you t- turn the page in October at 0 and 3 with two blowout losses you thought today was bad wait till the callers start calling into your station on on October 2nd or whatever it is
2: We'll take a closer look at the Buccaneers later in the week, but let's wrap things up for this pod with our two-minute drill.
1: The two-minute drill.
2: The two-minute drill. All right, Dan, a couple quick things I want to get your opinion on and any information that came out today at Hallis Hall. Bayless Jones, inactive. That's surprising to you in any way? You got Tyler Scott that may have beaten him out for the kick returner. Trent Taylor's returning punts. If Bayless Jones is inactive, what's he still doing on the roster?
3: Taylor Scott, or I'm sorry, Tyler Scott beat him out for the wide receiver job, which then forces you to use him as a kick returner as well, because you think you can do more with him offensively. And that's just it's uh, it's a, a rough spot to be in right now. If you're Bayless Jones, you don't have a role. Uh, they're standing behind you long enough to, to, to keep you around in case somebody else goes down and, and you have to be the next man up. And you've got to be patient with that, but certainly not a good development as far as uh, that young man is concerned.
2: Minor thing, but uh, did DeMarcus Gates get a penalty on him? Did Matt Eberflus address that at all late in uh, Sunday's game?
3: I am not aware. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, was, uh, was he what, the
2: one that got a, a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty near the fourth quarter? Trying to look here if he was one of the guys, and I just wondered if because I, they activated, made a, they, they made a corresponding move. They, Dylan Cole was re-signed to the uh, roster today, correct? Correct,
3: yes. And that, that that was really a health-related thing, and some, okay. some ro- roster mechanics there as they were trying to get to get to get to their game day roster um, for this Week One Sunday game. But they still believe Dylan Cole can be a good backup linebacker and a special teams ace for him
2: yeah that's just part of the roster churning that you often refer to, and uh, may, maybe nothing there. The other thing that I wanted to say is um or, or wonder about when you when you look at d j Moore getting two targets, did that come up with Matt Eberflus? because we had d j Moore on the Mullen Haw Show on Monday morning. He did not want to explore uh that possibility that much. He certainly said there are reasons for it. He's not going to make a lot of demands. But let's face it, this is the most valuable offensive player they have potentially – Two targets when you call forty-seven passes—it seems unacceptable.
3: That did come up today, and Matt Berflus agree with you. Agrees with you. It, it was unacceptable. He used the uh, the phrase, "We've got to feed our skill," which means we got to get the ball in the hands of the guys that we believe in. Uh, DJ Moore is certainly at the top of that list. We've talked about him all spring and summer in terms of being a, a guy that should be in every possession weapon for you. To see the ball twice on back-to-back passes in the second quarter and then not touch it, or see it again outside of a two-point conversion passing attempt, is absolutely unacceptable. It cannot happen in Tampa. It cannot happen in any of the remaining 16 games. D.J. Moore has to be a leading weapon for you every single week, regardless of what the opposing defense does to try to minimize him.
2: D.J. Moore also said that the Bears didn't have any juice. Uh, Colt Komet said the Bears lacked focus. Uh, Jalen Johnson said some things that you were there to to hear. Uh, Bears players are pretty candid about what they didn't do I just wonder how does that happen in the season opener, and how did Matt Abrams address that? I know it's I know it's one of those things we're never going to get an answer to, but it just kind of keeps coming up. Well,
3: so there's different ways to phrase this. And Matt was asked about the team's effort, and he said the effort was there. That's fine. I, I, I'm fine in agreeing with him that the effort was there, but I don't think the energy was there. And most troubling to me, uh, David, was, was, uh, you know, I didn't pick up on it until I watched the TV copy on on uh, Sunday night and Monday morning, was the, the, the body language on the sideline after they got behind in the third quarter and then had a, a poor drive. And you're sitting there, and you're, you're getting Tom Rinaldi scanning the entire Bears bench, and everyone looks defeated and dispirited and demoralized. And it's 17 to six with eight minutes to go. In the third quarter, and they already looked like they were done for the day, and that's inexcusable. That's the juice that DJ Moore is talking about. That's the juice that this team needs to play with on Sunday in Tampa. That's the juice that, that better be there because again, you don't have the talent and depth to get by if you're not bringing all the intangible stuff with it, and that that certainly was was problematic in the second half. I mean, Jalen Johnson said, "Look, like we were trying to get the juice, we didn't make any plays, you know, and then when you don't make a play, you don't have reason to feel that enthusiasm and that energy, and it just became a snowball that rolled the wrong direction."
2: And I stand corrected. I think that they announced in the press box it might have been DeMarcus Gates that got a face-max penalty, but according to the play-by-play, at the end of the third quarter, it was Travis Homer with a face mask penalty. Bottom line is the Bears had some penalties that were regrettable. They didn't have as many as the Packers, but it still was something they need to clean up.
3: Well, I got to tell you right now, I'm standing here in the midway at Hellas Hall and Dick Buckus is walking through. No joke. He's walking right out here. He obviously had something to do here in the building. But that's that's a real neat moment there when you turn to your right and Dick Buckus walks right by.
2: (laughs) ILL.
3: There you go. Wow. Um, Yeah. So so remind me what you just asked. (laughs) I
2: I was just making a correction. It was Travis Homer for the illegal face mask, not Demarcus Gates. They announced it as Demarcus Gates, but I guess it was Homer. They need to clean up the penalties because there were too many for for week one or any week.
3: Way too too many. And the Packers also had more of them for more yards. And so you you didn't capitalize on the mistakes that they had and the penalties they committed. And you made too many of your own. Uh, My last thing that I wanted to get to today, I talked about the offense not meeting that response moment in the third quarter. Well, then they get it to 24 to 14. And the defense has an ability now to get the game back within reach. They've got the Packers in third and three. And then there's a false start penalty. And it becomes third and eight. This is your chance. If you're a defense with any teeth, you get off the field, you get the ball back to the offense, and you roll forward. Instead, they give up an 18-yard completion to to, to Jaden Reed. And Jalen Johnson said today uh, that they just they they were misaligned and and just kind of off with their zone drops on that play. Jordan Love and Jaden Reed found a spot, completed it for 18 yards. The next play was the Meadowlark Lemon to uh, Luke Musgrave pass with <laughs> with Jordan Love dribbling the ball off the snap and then throwing deep on a busted play. And that that's how games get away from you. You know, you don't rise up and. Meet Meet That moment, the offense and the defense both had a chance to in that second half and they both failed. And the next thing you know, here we are on Monday with the blowtorches out uh, and and everybody questioning what there is to believe in anymore.
2: And my last thing would be the indelible moment for covering the game would be the Simone Biles moment in the (laughs) press elevator that was quite a shock that i think she was in the back of the elevator i didn't know if she was doing a handstand or not i don't think so she may have stuck the landing but we were there waiting to go down in the elevator and the elevator doors open and they said stop 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 vip on board so we couldn't go down and found out later it was simone Biles at the <laughs> game because jonathan owens is her husband play safety for the packers so I suppose if you are one of the greatest American athletes in history, <laughs> you are entitled to your own elevator.
3: Yeah, that's a surprise, right? Like elevator doors open and there's a, a 38-time Olympic gold medalist standing in front of you.
2: Yeah, especially when you have, you know, you're not allowed to get on either even though you might be in in a bit of a rush because a lot of people who are waiting for the elevator are on a deadline and that's supposed to be the media elevator. Not yeah. for gold medal Olympians, but hey, it was a memorable moment on a day that a lot of people in Chicago would rather forget. Anything else we are overlooking, Dan, before we get out of here?
3: Yes, one thing. Uh, chopped salad, Italian beef sliders, cheese tortellini, baked chicken with sun-dried tomatoes, green beans, uh, salmon, tiramisu, giant cupcakes. That was the the press box spread at Soldier Field. This is the start of season 11 for me on the beat. I have never seen anything remotely as appealing, as edible as that spread was on Sunday afternoon, things changed up in the press box this weekend, David. I don't know who to attribute it to. I think I have some ideas, but you have to tell me, as somebody that's been here for two decades, if that surprised you at how different that looks from what we're used to seeing in those troughs that are there in the back of the press box. In
2: 20 years of covering the Bears, and this is the 20th year that I have covered the Bears at Soldier Field, never have I seen that I think I can remember a post-game pizza, being delivered, but there was post-game pizza. From and there Connie's, was salmon, too, salmon, <laughs> Connie's pizza, salmon, chicken, goodness sakes. I was, for the first time that I can remember, I did not go home hungry. We were well-fed in the press box. We, we realized and lived every cliche about sports writers and sports journalists. Yes, the Bears fed us well. Thank you, Kevin Warren, for stocking the press box with some real food for a change
3: that was one place they got a victory on Sunday let's see if they can go nine and no in that department this year
2: yes the chefs they had a perfect passer rating <laughs> 158.3 all right for Adam Zizinski our producer for Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune I'm David Hoff on the Mullin Haw show thank you for listening to the take the north podcast on your free Odyssey app thank you for watching us on the 670 scores YouTube page we will talk to you later this week previewing the Buccaneers game thanks for listening to take the north great talk see you out there. Thank you.
3: Hey, everybody, I'm Mark Shanowski, along with one of the NBA's most popular analysts, Stacy King. We're inviting you to join us on the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast.
2: So join us every week here in the Hot Sauce studios, where we'll be talking about basketball, football, MMA, entertainment, and unique viewpoints from a group of sports experts having a few brews. That's right. Listen up on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast.